0: to The J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. This week's guest is Kevin McSpadden, who is the Southeast Asia editor for E27. E27 is one of the largest media companies in Asia with a specific focus on tech. Kevin is very much involved in the grand vision and strategic planning of the company, but not only that, he also rolls up his sleeves and gets deeply involved with the day-to-day. We talk about a lot of interesting things today, including what the startup scene is like in Singapore versus Hong Kong, what the future of media is as he sees it, and his brand new initiative that was just launched this week at E27 called the E27 Podcast Network. All right, let's get on to the show. What's going on, man? Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey,
1: Jay. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. I've been listening to you for uh, about a year now. So
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I actually owe you a debt of gratitude because, for the listeners that uh, are listening in, and if you haven't followed me from the beginning, I launched the Jay Kim Show literally a year ago. It was January of 2017, and Kevin was one of the first people that actually helped me promote my podcast um, over at e27. I remember I, I still distinctly remember having um, a Skype call with you a couple of weeks or a couple of Skype calls with you before launch and we were kind of brainstorming on how, how we would work it all out and uh, you know I have to thank you for helping me in early days get the word out and just you know uh, kind of doing the syndication that, that you guys have helped me with. So thank you Kevin. I really appreciate it and here we are one year later and uh, it's come full circle.
1: I was living vicariously through you because I love podcasts, but I, write a <laughs> lot, so I don't I don't always have time for them. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And that was another thing that I remember is that you were literally one of like five people that I would talk to that wasn't like, "What's a podcast?" What that's. <laughs> <You're-> <laughs> yeah. So um, why don't you uh, why don't you just introduce yourself to the audience uh, and tell us you know who you are, what you do for a living, and what your background is, that sort of thing.
1: Okay, um, so my job, I'm, a, I'm the editor at E27. Um, so for people that don't know, E27 is a startup tech company based in Singapore. We cover mostly Southeast Asia. We cover startups uh, ranging from Series A to all the way up to like the big well-known companies like Grab, Carousel. We tend to avoid bigger ones like Apple and, and Samsung. So it's, it's startups and the startup industry in Singapore or not in Singapore, in Southeast Asia, um, based out of Singapore.
0: Okay. And what is uh, what exactly does E27 stand for?
1: So E27 is Entrepreneurs 27. It comes from, so it actually has a pretty interesting uh, founding story, which is got co-founder and our two co-founders went on this uh, thing called NUS Overseas Colleges, which is an exchange program basically from one of the Singapore universities here. And they send students to Silicon Valley to kind of learn learn about startups and technology and uh the, these two went to that and they they kind of hatched this idea it kind of started as a Grassroots movement. There's a lot of events. There's there's kind of legendary stories within the company about the first couple of events that they ran they ran one sort of as for fun basically to kind of bring the community get together and do the startups And it was such a success that they started to build a business off of it. So now we run one of the biggest tech startup conferences in Southeast Asia. For your Western uh, readers, you might consider it like TechCrunch Disrupt of Southeast Asia. We do the media stuff too. So my job is kind of to steer the ship of the editorial stuff of E27. Again, I'm not 100% sure where all your listeners are coming from, but for, for Westerners, My job would be kind of to run the TechCrunch website and and what our writers write about every day, who they talk to, topics that's going on. And I actually kind of, you end up, when you're in the job, you end up getting a lot of inbound stuff. So I I do my own writing too, Uh, at least once a day I think about on average. It's a fun job. It's a fast job, which is why it's fun. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm sure. And so w- give us some background of before. I mean, you were were you a, a journalist before you joined there?
1: So I grew up in Montana. Uh, so I don't really come from a typical background in terms of like Silicon Valley, New York City or anything like that. I did end up moving to Silicon Valley for two Two plus years, mm-hmm. about two years. I lived in Oakland, but I was actually teaching. I was one of the many millennials who graduated college right after the financial crisis. Mm. So, so I I um, ended up taking my university degree and getting a nice job at a restaurant for a little while, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then eventually got into AmeriCorps, which was kind of my real like professional start, I guess you would say. And I was teaching. I spent a year teaching at a poor public preschool in Daly City, California, which is one of the, I I don't know how you describe the area, but one of the suburbs, I guess, of San Francisco. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And it was a really great experience. But I always laugh because when I tell people that, they assume I know stuff about Silicon Valley and I don't know anything about Silicon Valley. I I, I had a long journey into the tech world in general um, and I'm more more of a media guy. To be perfectly honest, so I guess you're wondering what brought me to Asia.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and then so after that one year, how did you progress?
1: So coming to Asia was a mix of uh, opportunity and a girl, as is typical of these things. Nice. <laughs> so I was I was uh, in a in a kind of long term relationship for well it was a we were together and then long term for about a year. And I decided to make the leap, and and I got an opportunity at the University of Hong Kong to enter their journalism program, which, frankly, was a really good school by, by my standards in terms of the equivalent of what I was getting into in the U.S., and it was... Amazing. I, my, my life kind of took a 90 degree right turn after attending that university. Wow. We, I met a whole bunch of people from, from all over Asia and I, I randomly have a lot of really good Nepalese friends. Um, so when I go there, I can hang out with like my actual friends, which is kind of a pretty cool thing.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. So then I got into Reuters, um, after, after HKU and that's where I got my training uh and unfortunately we had some cuts layoffs and about half my office got fired and i was one of those because you know low level i was basically an intern or entry-level position right i was searching for a job and e27 came came calling about two and a half years ago and I, i took the leap of faith and moved to singapore for for e27 and uh yeah, I, that was also a kind of another leap of faith that has worked out wonderfully, frankly.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. So what year did E27 actually, was, was it founded?
1: So 2007. So it's funny, we're most people who most of our readers kind of consider us a startup. Uh, although, frankly, I don't know if that counts, because we've been around for over 10 years, which is crazy. I think there's two iterations. There's the there's the beginning and then there's the second iteration. So I think we consider the second iteration as like the E27 as you see it today, which would be more like seven or eight years. Right. It's, you know, it's lasted beyond a certain amount of time. So we, I guess it's a SME with a startup culture. Right. Because startup. After a while, you stop becoming a startup if you've been around for eight years. Yeah,
0: sure. And I mean, yeah. I mean, as you as you as you grow up, uh, you know, things get smoother, and and uh, hopefully the revenue is 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 working, and and um and so you grow more mature. So let me ask you. So okay. So at the beginning, the first couple of years before getting over that hurdle, where it was like true startup, like you know, like pre seed seed round, like stage. What was the what was the business model and how has that evolved to where it is now?
1: So our business model has been the events is a core part of our business. The, the echelon is hmm. is uh, some people we don't actually know the echelon and e twenty seven are the same company. Uh, so that's that's how big the echelon brand is by itself, and so that's the core part of our business model. And then, frankly, I mean, it's not that exciting. It's it's a typical media. So we're lucky to have the events revenue and then we sell media advertising as all media companies do. Mm-hmm. The events is definitely the core part. Uh, actually, an interesting thing that I just popped up to my mind is we're kind of running this top 100 program right now. We're getting it kickstarted and we're doing a whole bunch of little events all over, all over Southeast Asia. Uh, Hong Kong included, uh, not even sorry, not Southeast Asia, all over Asia. And so it's going to be like a, a one day, like right. a few hundred people at the most type of thing. And and we're going to go to 20 countries if, we, if, we, if we're lucky. And we're going to kind of evangelize startups around it and run events and have mentors and have speakers and have a pitching competition and all that kind of stuff. So we're kind of expanding, not expanding is the wrong word, but going roadshow. Roadshow maybe is a better word. And it's kind of exciting.
0: That sounds pretty exciting. And and uh, it w- it's a great way to uh, bring an event, uh, a startup type event into a city that might not have an ecosystem, uh, a mature ecosystem in place that offers this sort of thing. And so you're bringing like a more mature brand in that knows how to run this sort of thing. And people get exposure and investors can come see the startups. And so I think it's a win-win all around. Uh, And would that be a run under the Echelon brand or just a separate product altogether?
1: Uh, We're calling it top 100 Echelon top 100. Oh, okay. So, So, so there's a, there's a prize. I mean, we do have the pitching competition and you'll pitch in, let's say you're in uh, Brunei even or Cambodia, some of the countries that you might not think of for startups. And if you win the the pitching competition, one of the rewards is to come to Singapore to our big event and and pitch for that one. And and a lot of those companies that pitch end up getting follow on investment, even if they don't win. Uh, that's the, I mean, that's the open secret about most demo days and pitching competitions is winning is nice because there's usually a bit of a cash prize, but It's just about pitching in front of the investors, and frankly, if you get fifth, you might have some guy come up to you and be like, hey, I really liked your pitch. I really like your business model. This seems interesting. Let's talk, and it can lead to – so for our companies, it would lead to maybe like a – seed or a series a investment depending on how far along they
0: are yeah totally I mean I think that uh, uh, that's absolutely right I mean it's just marketing right it's marketing your idea in front of a huge uh, large state big stage large audience and uh, that can only help uh, if you're working at a startup so um, so we were talking a little bit briefly before we we hit I hit the record button about uh, you know news aggregators versus just straight up media companies and, and you made the distinction that that E27 is not an aggregator uh, because you guys actually produce mostly original content. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so so news aggregators are common, and they're actually one of the common ways even young journalists start out. And if they can do it for a little while, they can meet people and, and make connections and hopefully don't start making bad habits. I actually kind of worked uh, as an aggregator uh, for a pretty big media company when I, I, I had a little internship and it's it's boring, but you get mm-hmm. your name out there. But basically what aggregators do is they they troll around other media companies and they they find th- the popular news. They might use social media to see what's trending or they might like try to pull out headlines from local news stations that they think can you know, the headline will get sexy and it'll blow up and they'll get traffic. Right. They always kind of uh, so you'll see like you'll see according to uh, New York Times. Kind of sneakily thrown in there, and then the quote will be uh. according to the article, and then and then later on, if they're feeling guilty, the right as said in the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> so they're basically reading the article and then rewriting it, and and we don't do that. We get our leads from press releases, interviews, talking to people, and then we like to do features and interview stuff too. So sometimes we have to sacrifice uh, hard news just to you know, for bandwidth reasons, so we can write our features and in interviews. Sure. And I think that's how us and our, our competitors operate.
0: Yeah, so uh, speaking of which, um, you know, one of your largest other competitors that people probably are aware of is Tech in Asia. Uh, are you, do you guys share similar business models on like sort of the event side as being the core and then um, and sort of the, the media side as as the the, uh, the other part of it?
1: Yes, we measure ourselves up against each other pretty pretty. <laughs> okay. Um we kinda yeah, we our revenue models are quite similar. Yeah, they just recently raised a big round. Uh, people saw in the news. So yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, when we—that's—I look at tech in Asia every day. I probably contribute a decent amount of their traffic, and I bet you they contribute a decent amount to our traffic. Sure. Frankly, I don't know that much about tech in Asia. I'm the last person tech in Asia would ever tell about about themselves.
0: <laughs> that's pretty interesting.
1: I know them. I know them as a competitor on the outside, but I, they're not. They're not telling me any secrets.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit, I want to talk about uh, Singapore and the startup scene there, because I think that uh, it's it's up and coming, or actually it's it's, 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 it's been around for a while and it's, uh, it's always been successful. And, uh, you know, there are a number of hot startups there now, uh, some of them that I've tried to profile on my podcast or written about um, before. Give us a, just a quick broad overview of, of you know, so you're on the ground there and, and you're in this space. So what's, what's the startup scene like there? Um, how does it sort of, uh, compare to perhaps Hong Kong where you, you also used to live? Um, you know, there's always this sort of measuring contest between the two, which place is better, which place has more support and which place, you know, should you launch your startup in? So maybe you could uh, talk about that for a bit.
1: So to compare Singapore to Hong Kong, it's actually not really that close, at least from my perspective, Singapore is quite a bit ahead of, of Hong Kong from the startup scene the startup scene here is is if not a giant percentage of the actual economy in singapore it is at least a massive percentage of the mm-hmm. government public policy the culture and just where the gov- or where the country is is heading over the next 10 to 15 years right. i think hong kong is there uh, but hong kong doesn't have the support um, a lot of that isn't really a feature or a bug. Uh, Hong Kong is defined by being one of the most capitalist countries in, or cities in the whole world. And Singapore is defined by pretty heavy-handed, if you would say, government relationship with its people. Uh, and so naturally, they've developed a bit differently. So how Singapore developed, which is an interesting test case in, in, in how to build something, is seven years ago or so mm-hmm. now, maybe five. The government just decided to to throw money at the problem as one does. And and they they made it fairly easy to get to get funding, to get grants. And people kinda criticized them for saying, look, you're funding these terrible companies, but in hindsight, and they probably knew it at the time, but now they're willing to admit it publicly, they said, Yeah, we know we're we're funding these pretty bad companies, <laughs> but we're also funding the one to four to five companies that Really take off and and mm-hmm. help grow this thing, and then they also Singapore has always been good at attracting attracting people to reincorporate in Singapore. So that's that's also what a lot of companies do is is so the famous test case to get an example of that is Grab, which is now a global ride sharing company that competes with Uber uh, fairly directly, and technically they're a Malaysian company. Yeah. Uh, called Grab Taxi. Uh, oh no, they are MyTaxi first. Sorry, MyTaxi and they grew grew up in malaysia but by the time they started to really Really? become a a global player they reincorporated the entire thing into singapore so now they are a singaporean company and and that kind of those kind of things help support singapore as a startup scene uh so was about five years ago and then and then so now five years later i kind of was using the metaphor if people of your listeners are familiar with startup terms uh We've kind of already gone through the, the seed round, and now we're trying to raise our Series A, and we're trying to take the next step into into a growth market, whereas I still right. think Hong Kong is on the seed stage. Hong Kong is coming up, though, and Hong Kong every now and then flexes its its billionaire's muscles and financial muscles, <laughs> and all the biggest rounds last year came out of Hong Kong, uh, which yeah, – yeah. Which, isn't that surprising considering it's close to China and it has the, the billionaire class. I don't know. Per, I don't live there. If I lived there, maybe I'd have a better idea. But my biases from living there a couple of years ago was that I think there's probably a like if you raise money in Hong Kong, you raise a lot of money. But I think a lot of the smaller people are still struggling is my yeah. I think real estate, It's I think that's the biggest problem in Hong Kong. 100%. I'm be blunt about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. It's like two separate ways to, to get to the, the end point. You know, if you're kind of a, just a seed stage and you just want to come in and, and get your thing up and running, then Hong Kong is definitely not the best place to do it. I mean, the cost of living here is just ridiculous. And it's like impossible to open a bank account and government provides very little support, this sort of thing. Uh, They're they're trying, you know, I mean, it's a very, it's a very intentional sort of uh, healthy competition they have with Singapore. I mean, they're they're look down at Singapore, look over at Singapore. Sorry, I don't mean to look down. But I mean, I was thinking geographically, you look down towards the equator and uh, Singapore's, you know, doing pretty good job of attracting talent, like you said, uh, because they're, you know, they are kind of throwing money at the problem or, or it is easier. And so it's just a numbers game there. Yep. And I think eventually, um, you know, the best companies weed out whether they're here or there, um, you know, the best business models will survive. And, you know, hopefully uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how it all play, plays out because there are, you know, a couple unicorns in the making here as well that that uh, will certainly put put uh, Hong Kong on the map just as, the very same way that Grab did uh, with Singapore. So, another uh, sort of question, um, I guess that I, I wanted to ask you was, um, and this is, this is sort of, uh, again, I'm going to switch gears again on you here, but, um, being someone in media and, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of half in media. I'm a hybrid because I do a podcast and I kind of blog and, and this sort of thing. But, you know, I mean, with, with the way that the internet has, has sort of, uh, Brought down the barriers um, and has democratized access to information. You know, you're seeing these things like uh, you know Facebook recently. There, they, Mark Zuckerberg came back and is he's taken a step back on the content because there seems to be just this flood of of news flow and and this sort of thing. And I I personally feel it as well. Every time I go on any of my social media channels, which is not very often, I just can't keep up with insights. So I just give up. Um, when coming from someone, some, you know, a place like E27, where you, you guys are are content producers and you manage this stuff, what's the next sort of big step? You know, I mean, I know that video was a big thing, uh, maybe 18 months ago that a lot of people were pushing by looking at sort of numbers or data, or just from your experience as a media company, is there certain things that you feel are more pack, more punch pound for pound, so to speak, um, when you're trying to be effective on on the internet or
1: on on various media channels. Well, I mean, frankly, I'm biased for podcasts, so that's one.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, here, here.
1: And, and I'm not. I'm not, I, I'm. I'm also a super biased source when it comes to that. No, but I think. Uh, I think the the video point is good. The problem with video is while it's useful, it takes so much money and resources to create a decent video stream and video. Uh, community that it can cost so much money and the returns just aren't there for a lot of companies.
0: Yeah. You know, we went through this thing of content marketing, like just articles, and then now it's gone to different, you know, formats, audio, video.
1: I think the most interesting thing that I've seen, not just at E27, but other media is, and uh, maybe I'm naive. I might be naive, but I I think just hard news, I think is actually kind of coming back up again. Hard news as in the, the, the ABCs of, of Journalism 101, which is company A or person A did this. This is why it's important. And this is what happened. I'm, I'm actually thinking of sports. So I have this bad habit of making sports metaphors. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, this, there's this NBA writer called Adrian Wojanowski And he doesn't write interesting thought pieces or opinion pieces or, or, or anything like that. His features are minimal. Uh, he just breaks news, and he breaks all sorts of news from, from the minor contracts to the, to the 15th player on some team getting traded for, for a pair of basketball sneakers to, you know, and then eventually <laughs> when LeBron James goes to the Lakers, he's the guy who, who breaks that stuff. I think that the stuff, and you, you kind of mix it with other stuff to read, but I think that's the stuff that hits, and that's still a core part of what we do. Let's say we do 12 stories in a, in a day or so, at least half of them are just... I'm looking at the website right now. Um, Netflix is now a U.S. $100 billion company. So this article doesn't have any opinions about what it means mm-hmm. that Netflix is a $100, $100 billion company. It's just Netflix is a $100 billion company. And I think a lot of, because of social media, um, even in Asia, some of that 2016 nastiness in the U.S. kind of bled over and people kind of got sick of it and, and are now... They just want their news and they can make their own opinions on it. Yeah. I also think my opinion might be fairly naive, but...
0: No, no, I actually, I think that there's something to that because it's almost like we've gone full circle where it's like news got fluffed up with opinions and then it, it kind of, it got too blown out of proportion uh, because that's what was selling and people wanted that. And then now it's kind of like, okay, there's so much noise out there. Just give me the damn news, right? Yeah. And then so... That might be the most effective. Um, interesting, interesting thoughts, um, Kevin. Thanks for sharing. I, I just have a couple more questions here. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you guys are always. Sort of being a, a more progressive company, you're always on the forefront of trying to, and you particularly when you rolled there, managing sort of the editorial uh, process there. I know that you guys are always looking for new ways to to sort of uh, expand and, and promote. And um, you know, just this week, I think uh, is you announced you know something that uh, I was very excited to hear, which is uh, your podcast network. So maybe you can. Tell the audience a little bit about uh, your exciting new project.
1: Right, so we're calling it the E Twenty Seven Podcast Network, and we're we're basing it off of two companies. Uh, one is called The Ringer in the U.S. They're both U.S. companies. Mm-hmm. I'm American, so I, I do listen to a decent amount of American uh, media just to you know keep up to date. And there's one called The Ringer, which is sports and entertainment, and there's another called Slate, which is. Mm-hmm. Uh, politics and news and what they do is they they create these feeds one's the ringer feed one's the slate feed and they they have 10 or 12 shows that are that are coming in every day and there are different people different interviews different uh, entertainment news updates there's one guy who does a one-person show because he's just a really fantastic radio host and so i'm trying to build this and copy it for e27 so Jake the jay kim show will be on it so Listeners can, can listen to it there. And the goal is is to, over the next quarter or two, is to build it up so we have maybe 12 shows coming in that are not generated by me personally, but generated from outside sources, other people in E27. I'll probably have one because I, I like doing it. And, and for listeners, hopefully what they get is they get a daily update of shows coming in because while the show that... I make only gets produced once a week. Jake Kimmeling gets his once a week. When you add it up to like 12 to 14 people, you suddenly get that show every day. And, and that's the model that I'm trying to build here. And the general themes will be tech entrepreneurship in Asia. But I'm also willing to be loose and, and experiment and talk to startup. I talked to a startup founder today because I bumped into him. And he's doing a webinar, and we're, we're thinking, hey, let's see if that works. Right. And kind of the cool thing about podcasts is it's in the Wild West phase. So a lot of stuff, there's no rules yet. And it's not like ethics. I mean, there's no rules in terms of form. And, and you can hear where you think podcast is going, and then suddenly a, a show like S-Town, which dropped last year, gets out, and it breaks the entire form, and it explodes, and it becomes a national phenomenon. And kind of changes how people view podcasts, and that's the exciting part. So maybe right. maybe a webinar does work. Maybe we can start transforming YouTube videos and see if that translates to audio. Um, it probably won't. It might not. But you don't know until you try. And so that I'm kind of excited to get get that going and, and grow the network. And it'll have an agent tilt. It'll have a tech tilt. But if you're an entrepreneur not in the tech field, we'll. I'm I'm open to listening and all that kind of
0: stuff. I think it's a great idea, man. I think that, uh, and I'm not just saying that because I'm on on your network. <laughs> um, I think that if you could have, you know, I mean, look, I, I listen to a handful of different podcasts, and sometimes I get burnt out with just listening to Tim Ferriss every single day. For you know, so I want to, yeah. I want to, I want a variety, but I also don't want to have to go into Stitcher where, and just keep searching for the different ones that I look and, you know, sometimes I forget. So if I could have one that is kind of central to the themes that I like, um, you know, I think that that's a great idea. And, and you're absolutely right. It's very nascent right now. Podcasting particularly in Asia. And I think that it's just going to explode. I mean, I think over the next decade, we're just going to see it massively take over. So we are still early adopters and I'm very happy that you're getting involved. Give us what, give us th- th- Two or three of your 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 personal podcast recommendations, just for the listeners uh, out there. I'm always curious.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, so so one of my idols is is Sam Sanders, and he's an NPR guy, so I tend to listen to some, mm-hmm. some of the NPR stuff, which can be a bit dry, but I I just I love how they approach politics and news. So Bill Simmons is fantastic. So the mm. you have to like sports, you have to like American sports, yep. but he's my favorite. Uh, <laughs> I decided I I had a love hate relationship, and I decided that I love him, and because I listen every week, and I was suddenly realizing I was listening every week.
0: And he's an interesting one because before his podcast, you know, it was all just the sports guy, right? Like on 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 ESPN or whatever. So it's like you kind of.
1: Sorry, if I can uh, jump in really quick. The the interesting thing about the Ringer, which I brought up, is actually his his podcast network that he built with with what are with the Bill Simmons brand was. Uh, it created. He created a new site based on the podcast, which is basically, I don't think anyone's really ever done that before, and it's the reverse of what you would expect. So it's the reverse of what we're doing, because E27 has been around for so long. Uh, so we have the E27 brand, and then I build the podcast off of the E27 brand. He actually built the podcast first, and then built his own news website based on the podcast, which Oh, wow, that's interesting.
0: Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. That's fascinating. Well, I, I guess if you're good enough, you could do it whichever way you want to.
1: It's funny because they're all so personal. It gives you an insight into what I like. So the starters are amazing for NBA. And there's one called The Watch, which is good for, for pop culture. I think The Watch is probably the one I'd recommend for a broader audience. It's They do. They cover television, uh, American television and Hollywood movies. So if you watch movies and you watch Netflix, they're, they're really
0: awesome. Cool. I'll have to check that out myself.
1: And uh, for news junkies, the Daily from the New York Times is very good, although sometimes kind of depressing.
0: <laughs> news News can go both ways. Um, dude, thanks so much, man. It's been uh, such a pleasure having you on, and uh, really cool hearing uh, about what you're working on there e27 and obviously the, you know, the, the podcast network is exciting. Um, what's the best place that people can find you, follow you, you know, learn a little bit more about uh, what you're doing there.
1: So you can follow us on all the, for the podcast, it's all the iTunes stitcher tune in overcast, all that stuff. Visit e27.co for our news that's right there on the front page. And if you click the echelon tab, which is fairly obvious, you can get into the conferences Um, we have our top 100 right there. And then if you're interested in our Asia summit, it's, it's, it's all pretty easy to navigate. And, uh, personally, I think for social media, I'm the most honest, I guess on Twitter. Uh, that's where if you're interested in who I am as a person, I tend to tweet more openly than Facebook or LinkedIn.
0: Cool. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again and best of luck on the podcast network, man looking forward to seeing how that goes
1: yeah thanks we appreciate everything you do for the entrepreneurs in asia it helps a lot you might not notice but it (laughs) helps um build up an ecosystem and startups is not easy so it helps when we have people participating
0: absolutely man i love doing it as well
1: all right man take care we'll talk soon all right thanks all right bye
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week.